This is the It Ain't It Sis podcast, a podcast where we focus on life's pivots and redirections, relationships, and becoming a boss babe. I'm your host, Sarah Whitney, and this is a space where honesty, humor, and a whole lot of sass collide. No one has it figured out. So it's completely fine if sometimes it ain't it, sis. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the It Ain't It Sis podcast. I'm Sarah Whitney, your host. And today I sat down with Sadie Sutton from the She Persisted podcast. And I'm so excited to have her on because we talked all about kind of mental health, depression, and anxiety, which is definitely a topic that necessarily, it's not going to be my lightest podcast that I have, but it's definitely a topic that is near and dear to my heart. For those of you who have been listening to the podcast for a little bit, you know I'm very open about my own mental health journey, and today you'll hopefully get to know a little bit more about me and my own personal journey, and in this podcast, Sadie also talks about her journey, and honestly, she is so inspiring. She's only 17 years old, but she's lived so much life in those 17 years that she's been on this earth. Uh, She talks a lot about kind of struggling with her own mental health. And so she has such a different perspective, I would say, than most people her age, which is so refreshing. And and at the end of the day, I hope this podcast episode can, I guess, shed a little bit of light on what it is like to deal with with mental illness at a young age and great ways to cope and just let anyone out there know that you are not alone if you are struggling. And I also kind of want to put a little bit of a trigger warning too. If talking about depression is, you know, something that is triggering to you, maybe this isn't the podcast for you, but I do think that everyone can learn a little bit from this episode and I'm excited for what everyone thinks about it. So in terms of a life update as well, I'm three weeks in now to my new job and you know, this corporate life thing, I'm getting the hang of it. It's my nine to five, except it's even longer hours. So yay, but it's fine. You know what? I'm grateful that I have a job and I'm making money. Granted, I'm not really making that much, but you know what? That's besides the point. And I am grateful that I have a job. And you know what? This is just going to be experience to further me along um, my career path, which is a little, um, how do, how do I put this? I don't know. It's, it's a little dim. That sounds really depressing. Maybe I shouldn't say that. It's just a little foggy. That's that's what I'm going to say. In my Q&A that I did, I think about two weeks ago, I mentioned how I want to be a New York Times bestseller, which is definitely still on my bucket list. Um, also, side note, if you didn't listen to my Q&A, just pause right now, go listen to it, and then come back to this episode. Anyways, Basically, what I really want to do with my life is kind of be a writer or work in the media or work in events or, you know, do something creative. Right now, you know, my job, I wouldn't say is the most creative thing, but like I mentioned, I am very, very grateful and it is, I'm realizing the launching pad for whatever else I do in my life. So I don't know. Everything's kind of just up in the air. I'm just taking it day by day in terms of career and really just focusing on my podcast when I can. 
But other than that, you know, I'm getting kind of, like I mentioned, acclimated to this nine to five life. Um, I live for the weekends, unfortunately, but it's okay. I had a great, great Sunday. It was so beautiful. I took myself on a little date to Winden Sea Beach, which is in La Jolla. If you have been there, oh my gosh, you know how beautiful it is. And the water was just absolutely gorgeous. Oh, side note, I went to Trader Joe's and the really cute guy who is always there who works there. Mm. He is so cute and he remembered me and he said hi and he asked me how I was. That was such a side note. My ADHD started to kick in. Anyways, I digress. I took myself to the beach and it was so beautiful and I brought this new book that I'm reading, which my best friend Sarah, you all know her, the one who was on the podcast with me a while back. She gave me a book and it's called Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And when I was reading it on the beach, I came across this passage that honestly so resonated with this episode. So I figured I would read a little bit of the passage before we kind of hop into the episode because, you know, sets the tone and all. Okay, so here it is. It's okay to feel all of the stuff you're feeling. You're becoming human again. You're not doing life wrong. You're doing it right. If there's any secret you're missing, it's that doing it right is just really hard. Feeling all your feelings is hard, but that's what they're there for. Feelings are for feeling all of them, even the hard ones. The secret is that you're doing it right and that doing it right hurts sometimes. I did not know that before the woman told me that all feelings were for feeling. I didn't know that I was supposed to feel everything. I thought I was supposed to feel happy. I thought that happy was for feeling and that pain was for fixing and numbing and deflecting and hiding and ignoring. I thought that when life got hard, it was because I had gone wrong somewhere. I thought that pain was weakness and that I was supposed to suck it up. But the thing was that the more I sucked it up, the more food and booze I had to suck down. So I really liked that passage. I feel like I don't read it as eloquently as I want to, but I mean, you get the gist of it. It was very poetic and I loved it. Glennon Doyle, who, like I said, is the author, she really talks all about kind of embracing your feelings and trying to get outside of that cage that we as women are so often kind of caught within and thus that is why the book is called Untamed and I'm only on page I think like 57 so you know I can't give a full book review yet but you know what the 57 pages I've read are pretty damn amazing and another quote that I want to read off before we fully get into the podcast it's this it says I can feel everything and survive that I feel like is a little bit dark but like also it's kind of uplifting at the same time if you get me. I don't know. But I really liked it and I thought that kind of coincided with everything that me and Sadie talk in the podcast. Um, We just talk a lot about how no matter the shit that you go through in life, like you can push through and there is always brightness on the other side. I know it sounds cheesy, but it's so true. And one of my favorite quotes also is, if you're not dead, God's not done. You know, that's the big takeaway of this podcast. But anyways, I think I am done talking because I am just rambling now. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Hello, Sadie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, For those of you who don't know, me and Sadie recently recorded, was it two weeks ago or a month ago? 
I think two two weeks ago, maybe three. No, somewhere between there. Yeah. This yeah. whole month has completely I don't even know. It it's yeah, by, but also just has been the longest thing of my life, it I feels like. I completely agree. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm just hoping the summer never ends. I don't have to go back to school and deadlines. I don't know how I kept up with all that to begin with, but yeah. Oh, no, I feel you. This is actually my last day um, of summer break, I think, for the rest of my life. Um, oh my I start God. my job tomorrow, actually. Well, congratulations also. I'm Thank so sorry you. for you. Yeah, I, I know. summer break. I know. So, yeah. RIP, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what I figured we could do is just have you introduce yourself, what you're all about, yeah. talk a little bit about your podcast and all that jazz. Yeah, of course. So I'm Sadie. I'm 17. I'm from the Bay Area. Um, and I started my podcast. She persisted, gosh, I think it's now over a year ago. And so I struggled with my mental health a lot when I was in middle school and starting high school. Um, and I went through quite a mental health journey myself. And so once I got to the point where I was like, okay, I know how to navigate this. I know how to cope. Um, and I kind of felt like I was getting closer to the other side. I was like, I feel happy consistently. I look forward to things. Like, is this what not being depressed feels like? Like kind of filling out those waters. And so I went back to the idea of sharing my story, which is something my dad had suggested when I first went into treatment um, during my freshman year. And initially I was like, absolutely not. Like, I don't want to talk about what I'm going through, let alone share it with other people I don't know. And so once I got to the place where I'm like, whoa, I'm happy. I look forward to things in my life. I feel confident. I, I know how to cope. I was like, maybe, maybe I could help others with telling my story and maybe um, communicating to them what was helpful for me could be really beneficial because like we'll get in more more into it later on in this episode, I was had a really unique experience of getting treatment um, at an early age and working with amazing professionals that a lot of teens don't have access to. And so I gained so much knowledge that I could help other people by sharing on a podcast. And I also never believed that treatment would work for me. I didn't think it was possible. I didn't think that I would ever love my life or ever be happy. So again, when I got to that place, I was like, maybe 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 it would be helpful to talk about this. And so now I do like a mix of interviews with experts and other teens. I teach like DBT skills, which is a type of therapy, which is like basically just like a book on teaching you how to cope with life and manage your relationships and do things like advocate and manage your bodily health, like sleep and eating and exercise um, and how to cope when you're feeling distressed or anxious or sad or anything like that. So I do that also. And then I really just cater to whatever listeners are looking for um, as far as mental health support. So yeah, that's a little bit about She Persisted. Yeah, I think that's so awesome that you want to really help people your age, especially since you are young. You are 17, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just turned 17 in March. Yeah. So I mean, that you've been through a lot at such a young age and just mm -hmm. the fact that you want to be so open about everything you're going through is so amazing, but kind of going back to where it all began, mm -hmm. um, when did you really start experiencing struggling with mental health? Yeah. So I, I talk about this on a podcast all the time about how I never had like a trauma or a big loss or all those normal factors that doctors will kind of screen you for when they're trying to figure out if you're depressed. Um, and so I never really had that. I just started feeling more and more sad and I had less and less things in my life that I loved and looked for and I started pushing away my support system as much as possible and that happened gosh probably sixth through eighth grade was when that was beginning and it really came to a head 
middle of eighth grade um, and then the beginning of freshman year. So I was, again, abnormally young to be going through this. And so that was when that began. And it looked like it was a low mood a lot of the time. My sleep and my eating was pretty difficult to maintain. Again, I pushed everyone away, my parents, my friends. And I just stopped looking forward to things and stopped having things in my life that I loved and that I cared about. And so I was like, holy crap, like, I don't know whose life I'm living, but this isn't the life that I love or care about. And because I was so young, I just remembered my life always being that way. And so that was another reason why I didn't think treatment would work, why I didn't think happiness was achievable, because I didn't remember feeling it. I just remembered this life that was really upsetting and really had no purpose and joy in it. And so that led to a lot of misdirected like anger and guilt and blame that I sometimes put on my parents or my surroundings because again, there was no trauma. There was no big thing that caused this depression. It just felt like it creeped up over time and then consumed everything. And that's all I could remember. But back to the question, um, I would say around the middle of middle school is when I started experiencing pretty severe depression. Um, and then I didn't go for treatment until freshman year, but yeah. Yeah, no, I would say I kind of have a similar story to you in that respect, because I also, I think it was around sixth grade. So I was Mm -hmm. bullied a lot though. So I think that was one thing that triggered it. And growing up, I mean, let's get real. I went to Taco Bell often and (laughs) my nanny, she would always pick me up after school and she would let me eat those like drumstick ice cream. Oh yeah. 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 Every single day. After I was in the same face. I was like pizza bagels and ice cream sandwiches, like great snack. All day, so every bad. day. So I- bad. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, let's get real. I wasn't the skinniest kid. I wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, terribly fat, but I also, you know, yeah. really skinny. So that was when I kind of started being made fun of um, just mm-hmm. for being fat or chubby or whatever. I mean, I was a kid. So I yeah. think a lot of us have baby fat on us at that time. Yeah. But- I think that's when I started kind of experiencing that too. But I think it's just kind of unique in a way because I know a lot of people, I think when in their, when they're in their twenties or in their Mm thirties or even fifties and later in life, um, they have a lot of things that trigger it. But I think especially mental health at a young age and kind of dealing with that, it can be such a heavy burden to, And we're not taught that it's a thing you can ever expect. I would, my parents didn't know that kids could have depression. I didn't know how to cope with it. I didn't know what's depression. It's like, it's not something that we're given in our skill set. Yeah. Well, no, exactly. And I think they taught, they teach about like, I guess like sex ed and all Mm -hmm. of those things. But like, what about mental health? Like, that's the biggest, my opinion. Exactly. You have your brain for like all of your life. And Mm -hmm. we take PE class to manage our physical health, but there's nothing for our mental health. Yeah. Yeah, Nothing for the mental or like emotional health. And like, I'm sure you were, you were so confused when this was Mm -hmm. happening and like, what were thoughts happening when you started experiencing this depression? Yeah. So again, I was so young and it crept up over such a long period of time because I always like thought pretty negatively of myself when I was younger. We grew up in I was born in Seattle and then I lived in like Santa Monica, LA um, when I was growing up in elementary school. So that again, within itself was like a little very image focused. Um, And so I thought very negatively of myself and my family and that I wouldn't be good enough. I had a lot of shame around that. Um, And my, my my sister and I used to fight all the time. Now we're pretty close, but when we were say like three and five, we were at each other's throats all the time. And so 
my parents would be like, stop fighting. This is going to ruin your life. Like you'll never get along. And so interactions like that, that's what I latched onto. And that's what I held onto. So I had a really negative belief, a really negative view of myself from a young age. So it looked a lot like, again, I thought my life had always been like, because I like that, because I'd always had these negative views for myself. So super negative inner monologue. Um, and then as far as what it like felt like and how I expressed that, again, there was so much blame towards my parents because I remembered my life always being one of depression and loneliness and sadness. And so I was like, my parents raised me. They've made most of the decisions this, up to this point in my life. So it must be their fault. Like they must have created this life for me. And so I, I assumed it was their fault. I assumed that my depression was the result of our arguments and that our interactions fueled those negative beliefs and that if they didn't do that, I wouldn't be depressed. And so I, that relationship took a hit for sure. It was something that was very hard to overcome and treatment and repair. But I would say as far as how I handled my depression, that was probably the biggest one was anger and, and blame towards my parents. And it, it, again, it felt like a lot of loneliness and there was nothing around me that I really looked forward to. That was the, those were the biggest themes for sure. Yeah, no, I feel like I am on the same boat as, as you, because I also growing up, I think I did blame it a lot on my parents just because mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I love them, but it is very strict. And I think, mm-hmm. I mean, my perspective at a young age was, oh, I'm not allowed to do all of these things. Then I get sadder because I'm not allowed to do all uh-huh. of these things. Exactly. And it's just a downward exactly. spiraled. And like, you're not, I guess, emotionally mature at that age to understand what's Mm -hmm. happening, why they're doing these things. And it's so easy to get angry and blame. And I, for one, I mean, I don't know about you, but I threw a lot of tantrums. I, me too. Yeah. I was a very emotional kiddo. I, all I know is that I can scream loud. (laughs) So no (laughs) one messes with me. (laughs) Yeah, no, I had this memory when I was when I was younger and we used to have a baby gate in my room. I don't know if your parents did that, but because I would know I did it so much when I would argue with them. And so I was probably what, like three or four and I was screaming and crying and I was like, let me out of my room. This isn't fair. Like crying, banging at the baby gate, like just wanting to be let out. And I cried myself to sleep standing up. I was sitting by the ottoman and I fell asleep, like, like bent over at the waist crying and screaming to be let out of my room. And so, yeah, I was definitely lots of tantrums, lots of arguing, an emotional kiddo for sure. I know. I mean, now I look back and I'm like, wow, my my parents had to deal with a lot. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm scared of the day if my, if my kids ever experience any mental health struggles because, yes, I've been through it. Yes, I like to think I know a little bit about what I'm talking about, but emotionally, I don't know what I would do if I saw my kids struggling like that. I'd be like, I'm sorry. I don't know what to do I know. With this. I know. That's my yeah. number one fear of like when I eventually do become a mom, I'm mm-hmm. going to be like, oh my gosh. Cause I know a lot of this, like, yeah. you know, it is to a certain extent, like genetic, like a lot of mm-hmm. the women in my family mm-hmm. do with uh, mental health issues. And so now I'm like, oh gosh, I really just hope I have all yeah. that. Yeah. Literally. No, it's like, it's terrifying. And I know how much, how painful it is. And I never would wish on anyone I know, but then everyone's like, you love your kid more than anything. And I'm like, how could I, like, I can't imagine how much I wouldn't want them to feel that suffering. And I feel like it's my fault. I know that's what I would think about it. And so I know I got to start coping for that years before that ever happens. Cause I don't know how I'm going to deal with that, but yeah, no, I know. And then it's kind of all about like switching your perspective too, because you know, mm-hmm. you were mentioning about how, 
you kind of did blame your parents a little bit Mm -hmm. um, for Mm -hmm. your sadness and your anxiety and all of that. Yeah. When did your perspective start to switch? Was that before you entered therapy or what was your breaking point where you kind of needed to enter therapy? Yeah. So I had been in therapy since probably seventh grade. Um, like weekly counseling. And so I started seeing a marriage and family therapist. Um, and my mom and I would go the first half, I would sit there and the second half, my mom would come and we like talk about arguments, super ineffective at the end, I just refused to go. And so I did a lot of different therapies, inpatient and outpatient over the next two years. Um, and so I did try lots of treatments and therapy and stuff like that. But I didn't really get to that breaking point until when I entered residential treatment. And so I tell this story all the time whenever people ask me about my journey because it's so pivotal and it really was my breaking point. And so we'd, the residential program, residential is kind of like, kind of like a mental hospital, but like longer term. So you live like in a house or a unit or that kind of situation with other kids or other adults and you do therapy every day, you do group therapy, you live there so you don't live at home. Um, and then after a couple months, couple weeks, however long it is, you can go home. And so it's just much more intensive, but it's not as, it's not for people who are as say a harm to themselves or others as like an inpatient unit would be, which is like short term. So that's residential. So my parents and I had looked all over the country. They settled on this one program in Boston called Three East at McLean Hospital. And so we'd flown cross country to go to this hospital and to go to this program. And so we got there, we showed up at this like giant brick building in the middle of nowhere. I was like, hey, I had all my belongings in my suitcases. I was supposed to be there for the next like four to six weeks. I was told that I would be allowed to go home. Like this was going to be the new place I was living. And it again felt like I didn't have any control over it. It was another decision my parents were making for me. So we got there and they asked me, they said, hey, do you want to be here? And the man that asked me that, his name was Blaze Aguirre, and I actually had him on my podcast. He's amazing, but he he was like, do you want to be here? And I was like, absolutely not. My parents have forced me to be here. I'm not allowed to be at home. Um, and this isn't going to work for me. I've already tried this. Like, this, there's no point in me being here. I don't want to be here. It's not me. I'll be here because you say I have to be here, but I'm not here because I want to be. And he was like, okay, so this isn't going to work unless you want to be here and you're not allowed to stay unless you can see the wisdom in it for you. And I was like, oh, and my parents were like, no, 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 no. We just flew here. You must take her. We just came all the way from California. We're in Boston. This girl's not allowed to be at home. Like you must take her. That's not how this works. And so that's how my parents would say, yeah, they would say, they're like, no, thrown off guard. Yeah. They were like, (laughs) we sign like you you go here and they of course very loving but they were like what the heck and so um my dad was like I gotta get back to work my mom was like I'll I'll figure this out okay I guess and so I was like what if what if I believed in treatment and therapy the first time what if I wanted to make my life something I loved what if um I really believed that something could change for me and I just went all in And so I started to believe that what they, this treatment, which was dialectical behavioral therapy and has the evidence to prove that it works for adolescents who struggle with depression and anxiety. And I was like, logically this works. So I'm going to, I'm going to see the wisdom and I'm going to believe in these people that want to help me. And I'm going to believe in myself and love myself enough to want to get better. And so that was that, that breaking point where it was no longer, I was going to therapy for my parents or for my, for my doctors or for 
my friends or my teachers, I was now going to therapy and in treatment for me. And I was realizing what I had done and I was the one trying to fix that. And so when I was doing that for myself, I couldn't be in the box of this is my parents' fault because that would mean I'd had no control. And so I was like, I want to fix this. I know something's wrong and I want to do this for me. So what control can I take of the situation? And that's where I was able to unpack the beliefs that I had formed and and change things as much as I could on my end. So that was my breaking point and when that shift was made. Yeah, I think the idea of just kind of asking yourself, what if it actually works out for the best? Mm -hmm. I think I remember... I actually vividly remember this moment when I was in sixth grade and I was just really, really depressed. The kids, they were so mean to me, honestly. I don't know how or why. I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe I know why. I was probably super annoying, but that's besides (laughs) the point. Um, Still. But still, yeah, come on. But I remember thinking, I was like, okay, I know it will get better just because at my school, we always had different um, speakers from different organizations Mm -hmm. come in and kind of talk about like, they did talk about more so drugs and then Mm -hmm. that relating to like their depression and anxiety. Yeah. And they were like, oh, but it always gets better. So I kind of had that um, idea ingrained in my mind that, oh, it does get better. I just never knew how long it would last. Mm -hmm. So that's where I really struggled with that. But once I also went to like therapy and now I'm in it again and I I love Mm -hmm. it so much because I mean, it's a, it's a, like a lifetime of just kind of learning and constantly learning and it's not always going to be perfect, but I think Mm -hmm. you kind of mentioned it when you were speaking, but learning what your core beliefs are too about yourself and learning to change that. And what were some of the core beliefs that you had um, prior to therapy? Yeah, so because my depression had escalated so much and there was just so much dysfunction in my life, I didn't get to uncovering those core beliefs until probably like almost a year into treatment. Like it took me that long to even start to work on like what thoughts, negative thoughts or emotions were going on because I was just trying to like have a basic relationship with my parents, like be safe and stable and stuff like that. So I started to realize that I it was, again, surrounding my parents. I didn't think that I would ever be loved by them. Um, I didn't think I would ever be good enough for them. And I didn't think I deserved love, like, from anyone. And so it was really thoughts of, like, unworthiness um, and inferiority. And so because I believed I didn't deserve love, when someone would say hi to me, I'd be like, oh, they're just doing that because they have to do that, not because they care about me or they want to see me. And any interaction with my parents, I was like, oh, they're just doing that Like, I just wouldn't accept any love or care that they were giving me. And so those were beliefs that I uncovered through kind of looking at interactions with my parents and listening to my inner monologue. And then after I realized that, I was like, this is why I was so depressed, because I was going through every day and finding circumstantial evidence for why I didn't deserve love. Like, if anyone did that, they'd be extremely depressed if they did that for years on end. And so I was able to uncover that. And I could that blame that I'd already taken from my parents I had a new understanding of why I was so depressed and it was because I was living my life to find why I was unloved um and so yeah so those were definitely the core beliefs that I uncovered and those take work every single day it starts to become more automatic to shift those beliefs and notice when they pop up but at the same time 
um, if you're not paying attention to your inner monologue, if you're not paying attention to your interactions and the reasons behind them, it's very easy to fall back into that pattern because for me, my instinct is to believe that I don't deserve love and to interact with people based on that belief. So it, it's, again, mental health is a lifelong struggle and a lifelong journey, and you have to be intentional about it to see the effects and to reap the benefits. But yeah. Yeah. No, I completely understand when you were talking about the idea of not feeling um, good enough and being inferior because one of my core beliefs, it's funny because I went to therapy, I think when I was from 17 to like right when I turned 19 and then Mm -hmm. went to college, obviously. And then in college, you experience so many things. So I- you know, had deal, dealt with a lot of um, anxiety and depression mm-hmm. and sexual assault, which obviously all of that really just who wouldn't kind of feel yeah. a little bit of some emotional turmoil totally. when yeah. that is happening. Yeah. Um, so I finally went back. It's now July, but you know, I started mm-hmm. during quarantine. So I think mm-hmm. in March and that was when I actually discovered like my core beliefs and everything that I was learning about. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny because it was like, wow, it took me this long in my like mental health journey to like. Yeah, no one tells you that like these are things that are so helpful to your functioning if you I understand know. them. Because I like, think like so uh, often yeah. everyone is like, oh, just tell yourself like you're a badass and you're fine, and you're like, yes, but helpful. like deep, deep down, if you like truly, truly don't believe that, like it's yeah. so hard to like believe that you are a badass. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, and I understand why they're saying tell yourself that. Yeah. Because if you are telling yourself that because your core belief is that you're not a badass and you're trying to replace it in our monologue, it'll work great. But only if you're being intentional about it and truly believing it when you tell yourself that. And so no one teaches you how to find the affirmations that make you uncomfortable or that you're attracted to because those are the opposite of your core belief. No one tells you to look at your interactions and be like, what is limiting me here? Why isn't this exactly? Yeah, no, one of the favorite things that um, my therapist tells me, she says, what is something that feels true to you? And then use that Mm -hmm. as an affirmation because I think for a while when I first started, I, my like core beliefs were I'm not seen, I'm not known. Mm -hmm. um, I am lonely and all of these things. And I tried to come up with these affirmations where I was like, oh, I want to be this way, but I feel like that's not even achievable. And she's like, okay, well, that's okay. If you don't feel like those are achievable now, switch the wording to make it more tangible and more Mm -hmm. relatable to you, but also kind of contradict those negative core beliefs that you have. And I think that's like one great way she told me to just kind of start. That's a great way to kind of like change and shift your mindset from the beginning. Totally. No, I think for me, it was kind of what made me uncomfortable. And so it was, I went through a phase around the time I went to treatment where I would not let my parents physically touch me. I wouldn't let them say, I love you. So it was, that was what made me uncomfortable reading affirmations that like, were like, you are so loved. You're so cared about having friends tell me that like, that was what like physically felt uncomfortable. And so that was how I am able to, I mean, if I looked at it that way, that would have been how I would have been able to figure out what my limiting belief was because it was so ingrained in me that anything that was the opposite, I was like, that's not, no, 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 no. It was just like pure rejection of that concept. And that's another great way to figure out what your your limiting beliefs or your core beliefs are if they're negative is to look at the affirmation and it's like, 
what makes you the most uncomfortable because it's so far from your belief set and then go there and be like, okay, how can I get to that point? And that's again, if you've gone really far down the road of like self-deprecation and have a really negative inner monologue, um, I'm sure for most people it's not as uncomfortable, but for me, it was like, no, like that's not possible. I've lived my whole life believing this idea that I don't deserve love. Anything but that would make all of my like walls that I put up and beliefs I put in place and interactions crumble down. So I must reject it. But yeah, I know. I I think it's just so interesting. And I hope that I guess more people start to realize that because I feel like especially in the media and just in therapy in general, I don't Mm -hmm. think people understand that that's what therapy is. And it's like, yeah, really uncovering like what your subconscious thinks and not just like sitting down at the end of the day and telling Mm -hmm. people oh this is how I'm feeling this person yeah I'm sad Mm -hmm. it's not like that it's it's way deeper than that and Mm -hmm. then like it's really a lot of relationship work too and I know that you worked with your or worked on your relationship with Mm -hmm. your family and how has that changed since you've been in therapy yeah so again like I mentioned it was horrendous like I like when I think about the things like uh just so bad I didn't wouldn't hug them wouldn't talk to them the idea of telling them that I wasn't okay was so far out of left field like it just would have never happened I was angry at them I thought that my whole mental illness was their fault so we went into McLean and Boston having really no relationship and so they started visiting me every weekend and they would go to this pair group. So they would teach them the same skills that I was getting taught every day at, um, at three E's. And that's something that you lose in treatment, sorry, it's tangent, that you lose in treatment as you get over 18. And so I have pros and cons about going to treatment when you're not longer an adolescent. When you're no longer an adolescent, you're looking for treatment yourself. You're spending your own money, your own time because you want it. So you don't have to get over that step of, I need to learn to do this for me so it will be effective. You already have that one thing ticked off the list because you're going to treat it. You're choosing that. When you're an adolescent, so much of your life is your interactions with your parents. So when your parents are willing to be dedicated and be in that journey with you, it's so supportive and and helpful for your growth. So anyway, so they would go to the group therapy um, every Monday with all the other parents of the girls that were at that program. And we would do family therapy. So we would uncover all these arguments and interactions that we had that I held anger about and they held anger about. So at first it was, they would come and visit. We would like have some awkward lunches around Boston. We would walk around and so, so, so uncomfortable. We would barely talk to each other. And it was like, it was like pulling teeth. I I remember those days of just, yeah, yeah, not wanting to talk to your parents because you just have so much anger built up inside of you. Yeah, they were so uncomfortable. They were like, this is not fun. Like, but they couldn't leave. They were in a different state. Like, they were in charge of watching me. So it was like so awkward. But it was like having that baseline relationship of mutual connection and mutual experiencing. So, like, baseline relationship. If you were meeting a new person, we did that first. And then it was going back and breaking down all of these negative interactions that had happened over the past years. Some of it was like, again, like when I would have arguments with my sister when I was like five years old and how they handled that. Like we would go back and talk about that. My friends were like, we didn't mean that. And I'm like, well, this is how I perceived it. So then it was repair about all of those emotions that we had toward each other 
because if we were carrying that baggage, we wouldn't have been able to move forward. And then from that point on, for the last year that I was in treatment, it was all about trust and building that with my parents, having them trust that I would be safe and that I would be able to take care of myself and that I had changed and that I could be effective at home and that they would be able to trust what I said. I would come to them when I wasn't okay. And if I said I was going to be somewhere, that would be where I would be. And so it took, it took time. That was honestly the biggest thing. But again, it was first building like that basic connection and then undoing all of the grudges we had held and then building that trust that has gotten us to a place today where I love my parents more than anyone. I love hanging out with them, which I didn't think I would ever say. And I look up to them a lot and it's come a long way, but that was really how we did that. Yeah, it sounds like it did like a complete 180 um, in terms mm-hmm. of just kind of how your relationship was and now it is. And how do you yeah. kind of express when you are kind of feeling sad or anxious or just kind of having a bad day? How have you learned to like ask for what you need or just like tell them verbatim like, hey, I'm not doing great. So I've never talked about this on my podcast and I'm really glad you asked this. So when we were first in Boston, my therapist and my parents and I, we were all sitting in the room. We were like, okay, Sadie, you have to learn how to tell your parents when you're not feeling well. So we came up with the Tourette's game. That might be offensive. This might not age well as a podcast, but it's okay. Um, Which meant that whether we were sitting at dinner or we were walking somewhere or we were watching a movie, I would blurt out how I was feeling. And because I... The idea of voicing what I was feeling and telling them was so difficult. I believe that if I told them I wasn't okay, that was a weakness and that meant they would never love me even more. So we did like a Tourette's game and it started with easy emotions like I'm happy or that's funny or I'm a little anxious or I'm really depressed today. And so it was just blurting out those emotions with no context, not having to deal with like sitting them down and having a conversation. And so that was like, I just remember that being so difficult for me, being able to just say like, I'm sad. Like that was so, so hard for me to fathom and then put into practice. So we started with the little Tourette's game. And then it was when I went to boarding school, that was a rough year. It was again, part of my treatment. I met so many great people, but it was an interesting program. I would never tell anyone else to go to that school. And so I got there and they were like, okay, you won't see your parents for three months. And I was like, what? And you couldn't talk to them when there wasn't a therapist. And after that, you could talk to them for five minutes a week. And so it was, yeah, it was, it was really different. And so All of a sudden, I was just sobbing every time I was on the phone with them because I missed them so much. I just started to love and care about them. And so I would hear their voices and just like sob. I miss you so much. Like I, I, and the five minutes phone call was over. And so it was definitely easier from that point on to, to express emotion because we had been having therapy where we'd unpack things that were obviously painful. We'd done this little Tourette's game to put like a name to the emotions I was feeling. And then it was just like all out in the open. And so from there, now it's still kind of uncomfortable when I want to like ask my parents in the I'm like, hey, like, I really want to do this thing or this friend is like making me feel really shitty. So it's, it's always awkward to have to do that vulnerability with someone, but it was just letting down that wall and just letting those emotions come through. And that's really how, really how we went about that. Yeah. I think being painfully open is that's how Mm -hmm. I like to describe myself because I mean, I don't know. It's just, I was, I even saw a friend from high school actually this past weekend and I Mm -hmm. just like completely told him everything that I had been through in the past four years. And I was just kind of thinking, I was like, wow, like why am I um, saying all these things? I do the same thing. Yeah. But I mean, now I think, ever since I initially went to therapy when I was 17. Like, I don't know what happened, but from ages 
zero to 17, I Mm -hmm. would let no one in. I would keep everything a secret. I would not tell anyone when I was super sad. The only way you knew I was like anxious and sad was if I had like a complete mental breakdown and that was only like in the comfort of my home. Mm -hmm. And then once I went to therapy, it was just like, boom, I will, I will tell anyone anything and not, it's because I'm not really ashamed of Mm -hmm. anything that I've been through. And I think that is also a big factor of being able to be open with your emotions, not feeling shame and just like disappointment for anything that you have been through. Totally. And and for so long, again, I bottled everything up. <laughs> I remember it still happens sometimes, but there was probably a year whenever I'd feel sad, I would start sobbing. So I'd just like feel guilty about something, be like, I'm so sorry. And I would like feel the tear that big. I'm, I don't know how to experience emotions. Like, I'm so sorry. It's just gonna, I'm just gonna cry. Please just ignore it. And again, I was at boarding school where everyone was like going through all this stuff. So it wasn't socially awkward as it would be in real life. But it was like, I had bottled up for so long that when I experienced any emotion just everything came out and so I and I would call it my emotions like spurting and exploding a little bit and to anyone that's never been in therapy that was like the weirdest thing for me to say but no I it was so foreign because I'd bottled up for so long that when I we'd watch a movie I would literally start sobbing and I would be like I'm I don't know what's happening I'm so sorry but yeah no, I mean I am like a avid crier I love mm-hmm. it it's so cathartic and I it's so funny too because my friends have all seen me cry I cry probably at least five times a week and I feel like sometimes mm-hmm. people are like, wow, are you like emotionally stable <laughs> now? And I'm like, yes, I am. Now I am. Doing great. Yes. Doing great. Back then, maybe not so much. Now yeah. I am emotionally stable, but hey, I still love a good cry. It, it, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's cathartic. Yeah. What can I say? Exactly. So what are some tips that you would have for anyone kind of struggling with mental illness and doesn't really know where to even begin? Yeah. So we just kind of talked about how hard it is to say that something's not okay and how hard it is to tell someone, especially your parents, that you're not doing well. So first I want to validate that. Like you probably know I'm going to tell you to tell someone, but I, I know how difficult that can be and how, and how tough that is. So the first First step is to again just accept to yourself that hey my life doesn't have to be this way I don't want it to be this way and I'm not okay and so once you can get to that point of understanding that yourself then telling someone and that's honestly what I think is the hardest part of treatment and the hardest part of your mental health journey is telling that first person and and I'm someone who was in intensive treatment for a year and a half I was in therapy for like four years before then and I'm telling you that is the hardest part is really just telling someone that you're not okay and it's it's downhill from there. So tell someone like, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand it, but I just don't feel good. Whether it's your parent or a teacher or I would probably say an adult unless you are an adult, then tell a friend. But if you're like a middle schooler who's telling another middle schooler, like nothing's going to come from that. It's not very effective. But yeah, so tell someone and then... However, you need to get to the point where you want to get better for yourself, because especially when you're an adolescent, your parents are the ones putting you in therapy. Your parents are the one that are signing you up for treatment or a group therapy or telling you to talk to someone else. And if you're doing it for them, nothing's ever going to change. It might be a little bit different or there might be superficial shifts, but nothing will truly ever change until you love yourself enough for you to want to live a life that you love. And so... However you need to do it, whether it's finding the wisdom in a certain treatment or practicing enough self-compassion that you want a better life for yourself or asking yourself what would make my life worth living and, and building that for yourself. So I would say first, tell someone. And second, 
get to the point where you will you will get better for yourself because you want it for yourself because you care about yourself that much. Yeah, I would say vocalizing just how you're feeling is one of the most important things. And then I would also say personally, I think community is super important, mm-hmm. whether that's with your friends or even on, in online community. I feel like that's super yeah. right now, especially with coronavirus. A lot of people mm-hmm. you know, interact with their friends and family. And so I personally, yeah. I like to follow a lot of um, Instagram accounts kind of surrounding mm-hmm. mental health health and well-being. But what are some of your favorite Instagram accounts if you have any? So one educational account that I follow which I think has great educational resources is called Prioritize You. And so they do lots of um like gallery posts where they explain like what depression is and like how to find out if you're ready to talk about it and what you can do to manage that. And I think education is the first part. It like again makes something like mental health which is so abstract a little bit more understandable and it gives you steps that you can take um i really love a woman named audrey bailey she does more like religious based content about mental health but she's a huge advocate for that and does a lot of relatable content so her little handle is brush and barley there's a woman named scout sobel i just had her on the podcast but she's one of the hosts of okasis yes her, I, saw, I know i heard that it was great she is, she is so good and so her podcast is called scout podcast and she has had bipolar and gone through her own mental health journey so her account is at scout podcast and i would definitely recommend giving that a listen another one there's a woman named alexis haynes and she went through again her own recovery um rehab mental health journey but she has a podcast called recovering from reality and then her account it's alexis haynes posts a lot of mental health content and have so many incredible educational guests who can speak from their experience and then i really like i'll do two more and so her handle is hey amber ray and she is like an artist and an author as well and she just posts so 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 many great graphics about really accepting what your emotional experience is and diving into that and sitting with that discomfort and really just being aware of that. And then the last one is Tiffany Rowe and her Instagram is at Hey Tiffany Rowe. And she does more like uh, eating disorder and body positivity based content, but it's uplifting and definitely gives you a place to start as far as finding support online. Okay. I need to now look at some of these I know. I gave so many. I'm so sorry. I was like, I'll just go through all my following, like find my favorites. But yeah. No, I definitely need to. I know um, Scout and then I know the recovering from reality. Mm -hmm. She had a wild life. Oh, crazy. I know. Everyone should look her up. She is, I think she's only, I think she's under 30. Oh yeah, definitely. Lives probably. (laughs) I don't know. She was like, robbing celebrities she was a major drug addict and she, she offered an internship. yeah she's part of the bling ring and she offered uh an internship a little bit ago and i was like mom and dad i have to do this i gotta get better at podcasting like, mom i have to do it. my parents like no i no you're not working for this woman and i was like no she's changed like she's an advocate and i was like i'm a 180 yeah no but no craziness. Now she has kids. She's married, all of that kind of stuff. But I know. She's really She had a reality down. show about her. Like it was just crazy life. But yeah. I know. But I love kind of seeing people on social media who were, you know, once literally, mm-hmm. you know, she, she went off. 
in yeah. every single yeah. way. She hit rock mm-hmm. bottom for sure. She definitely hit rock bottom. And I think she even mentioned she hit, hit rock bottom a few times, but I don't know, just mm-hmm. kind of even seeing those things, especially famous people who are open about it, it kind of mm-hmm. is affirming to be like, okay, then yeah. I'm, I'm totally fine. I can get through this. Yeah. Like, and- I don't know if she's still doing it, but Miley Cyrus was doing her bright-minded IGTV yes, lives. I know. I loved, loved it. those. That was so cool. And she had Selena Gomez on and I watched the whole thing and I was literally fangirling because Selena Gomez talked about which hospital she went to when she got treatment and she went to the same one as me. And oh, I was really? like, yeah. And so she was like McLean hospital, their DVT program. And I was like, me I talk about this on the podcast all the time like this is awesome so it's so cool to know that other people have been there too these people that seem to have their life together and perfect like we're all in it together but yeah I know and I would say then your next guest you should have on is Selena Gomez oh my god I wish I like dream guest wish that'd be so cool just to like talk I'll, about I'll try to reach too. out to her over um dm maybe I can slide into the dms or I would slide into her like a million requests yeah <laughs> Oh my god, no. I gotta build my audience a little bit and then I'll try and shoot that DM, but like that would be so cool. Who is your dream guest, by the way? Who is my dream guest? I well, I recently talked about this on my podcast. Um, her name's Mm -hmm. Haley Hoffman Smith, is one of them. She's actually like 23, so I think she's my age. But Mm -hmm. she is just really cool and basically I kind everything she's doing, she's a writer, she lives in New York City. Yeah. She's an entrepreneur. She's really into like, you know, just mental health and manifestation. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. Yeah. You. So yes, her. And then I don't know. I would love to just sit down with um, the skinny confidential. I love her so much. You know, I feel like I, I want to, I, how do you do what you do? That's what I want to know. No, like literally like, okay. First of all, baby is so cute. Her Instagram so stories are like, I want to learn how to do Instagram stories that well. Like all the text, everything tagged, perfect jazz music. Like that is an art and I am so impressed by it. Like I want to be able to do that so badly. I was like, they didn't teach me this in college. No. (laughs) As she talks, she's like, oh no, like I was never interested in what I was doing in school. And I was like, so make a school that I can go to where you like teach all this stuff. I was like, same girlfriend. (laughs) And her husband, he does the Dear Media. And they have, yes. I've sent them so many emails where I'm like, please have my podcast on your network. Never yeah. got a response. I'll really? keep trying because they have keep recovered trying. from reality and like so many other great like mental health podcasts. And so it's like, it's like podcast dream life right there. Like they're killing it. Love that for them. And I want to learn how to do Instagram stories like her. You're, you're preaching to the choir because that's everything I want to do. I also want to be a part of their um network but you know those yeah, are it's so cool that we can uh, manifest and yes yes we'll be in it together but yeah I know but I guess wrapping up so what is mm-hmm. one piece of advice that you would give to anyone struggling right now right now well first you're not alone like we just talked about both of our experiences with struggling with our mental health and and even though everyone presents differently and has different circumstances in their life, it's those beliefs and those emotions that we can all connect over. So I, I hope that there was something in this episode that you could lash onto and be like, hey, I've been there. That was me too. Like, this is what I'm going through right now. So first you're not alone and then talk to someone, um, get that support system. And similar to what I said, kind of have the, have the love for yourself that you want to get better for you. Like, care about yourself enough like you would care about someone else that you want 
you want to have a life that you love and that you look forward to and that where you're mentally healthy and okay. Um, just like when you, you care about yourself, you keep your physical health in check. You go to the doctor, um, you exercise, you eat well, care about yourself enough to do that for your mental health as well. Mm-hmm. I love that. I would literally second everything that you just said. Um, just, yeah, everyone take care of your mental health. It's the yeah. most important thing. And watch the Skinny Confidential Instagram stories because yes. so much self-soothing in there. Like, I see her, like, little, like, steam deep, what are they called, diffusers, and I'm like, I'm yes. basically calm. Like, all of her products, I'm like, okay, like, I'm basically there. I'm calm now. We're good. We're good. I have one. You can't, Everyone else can't see it because we're on Zoom right now, but I have one, yeah. like, in the back over I there. I love it. I love it. I do, normally I do candles. I really, really love a good candle, oh, for sure. But we love a good candle. Yes, but I want to try her, like, the diffuser by the bed because she was like, it's deep puffing. It's great. So now I want to try that also. Ooh. But yeah. The more you know, honestly. Yeah, I know. If we can ever get to the point where we're that calm and have all of those things in place, like we'll be good. That's my mental health goal, honestly. Just be as yeah. zen as they can be with um, uh-huh. a little diffuser right Lord. next. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. No, she like did on her story. She was like, I love taking ice cold showers. So I was like, I'm trying it. I'm doing it. If she likes it, I'm going to try it. Like oh, no one else could. I tried it for one day and I couldn't. Apparently it's very good for your um, immune system. Yeah. And so I like take showers at night. And so I was like, I don't think this is the de- desired effect. Like, I'm sure this is like a morning practice where you take a shower. So I was like, this is awful. But I would love to at some point be able to do that like more regularly. I think it's a great idea. Just no. Yeah, no. So two pieces of advice, um, you know, just put your mental health number one and follow the skinny confidential. That's really, yeah, that's, that's what we got from this episode. <laughs> that's, that's all you need to know right there, folks. Yeah, you will be good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much again for coming on the podcast. I love of talking course, to you. Of course. So yeah, no problem. Find you. Yeah. So my podcast is called She Persisted and you can find it on every listening platform. And then my Instagram for the podcast is at She Persisted Podcast. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. Everyone make sure to go follow Sadie. She is amazing. And honestly, she inspires me Thank you. every day. And we're all inspired by the skinny confidential. So we're good. <laughs> That's all you need to know there, folks. So that's the podcast for today, guys. I hope you loved it. I hope you learned a little something. And I hope, you know, you were inspired to either just help someone that you know struggling with mental illness or mental health, or if you personally kind of struggle with your own mental health, I hope this kind of helped you in some way. If you are struggling with your mental health, I do want to say please reach out to someone There are so many resources, especially even online. I know there's a place called BetterHelp. I think it's an app. And there's so many other um, online communities as well or different counseling groups as well. So that's really all I have to say about that. But like I always say in every podcast, make sure you subscribe and follow me on Instagram. And I'll have everything in the show notes below, like I mentioned. But other than that, have a great rest of your week. I love you all. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.